Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United Kingdom, Bosnia, Texas, and the rest of the United States. Starting out actually with a quick little tidbit about Israel, the government of Israel has collapsed. If you're unfamiliar with terminology surrounding parliamentary systems, that just means that the governing coalition in parliament uh, is no longer solvent, not that like Israel doesn't have a government anymore. This is relevant for this podcast because, as I've said previously, the government of Israel was, up until you know about a week ago, an extremely tenuous alliance led by an extremely right-wing party, uh, even farther right than Benjamin Netanyahu's party, which remains the largest party in Israel. Uh, so it remains to be seen whether this means that Netanyahu and his right-wing you know, sub-coalition will return to power, or if some other form of coalition government will come to power in that country. Turning to the United Kingdom, the government of Boris Johnson has proposed that GPS trackers be attached to immigrants who have crossed into the country across the English Channel or other, quote, dangerous and unnecessary routes into the United Kingdom. So the plan would attach these GPS trackers to some immigrants whose, you know, claims of entering the United Kingdom, fleeing torture or other sorts of personal danger have been denied. You know, these are the kinds of trackers that people get when they are under house arrest. Obviously, people um, like the refugees themselves and also advocates in the United Kingdom and in Europe are saying that this, you know, this is the literal criminalization of refugees, people whose crime is that they were trying to flee their dangerous place of origin uh, for a better life. This is part of an ongoing hardline turn on the part of Johnson in order to try to, you know, shore up his bona fides as a right-wing figure. Uh, specifically, this right-wing turn is against immigration. You know, it's part of his, like, embrace of Brexit as, you know, the Brexit prime minister. Specifically, another thing that he had planned was to fly Rwandan refugees back to Rwanda as part of an agreement that Britain had with Rwanda. Uh, this was blocked by the European Commission for Human Rights and other legal forces uh, for being inhumane. Uh, it remains to be seen exactly how this new plan of uh, retaliating against immigration will play out for the British Prime Minister or for the people who are being targeted by it. Moving on to Bosnia, vandals have attacked an anti-fascist cemetery in Bosnia. This cemetery is called the Partisan Memorial Cemetery in the town of Mostar, and it held the gravestones and graves of some 700 anti-fascist partisans who fought against fascist collaborators in what was then Yugoslavia during World War II. Now, Yugoslavia after World War II would come to be an extremely anti-fascist communist government uh, headed by a person named Tito. Uh, this means that after the fall of Yugoslavia and the Balkan Wars that came about after it, you know, that produced countries like Bosnia-Herzegovina or Kosovo, uh, this means that the legacy of anti-fascism in that part of the world is uh, related to something that a lot of people criticize and don't like, namely the communist government of Yugoslavia. And so uh, right-wing forces in Bosnia and in other parts of the Balkans uh, have a tendency to attack these sorts of anti-fascist monuments, not necessarily because they're fascists themselves, although some of them are, but because they represent a, you know, the legacy of what they see as a sort of like colonial imperialist rule of Yugoslavia. 
Turning to the United States, we're going to start talking about Texas. The Texas GOP has pushed for a referendum on secession from the United States. Now, uh, if you feel like you've heard this one before, you have, uh, although Texas was actually one of the last states in the South to secede and attempt to join the Confederate States of America. So the Texas Republican Party, uh, specifically, this is their party platform. The Texas Republican Party says that they want to hold a referendum. And they want to put it on the ballot for the people of Texas to vote about whether they want to leave the United States or not. They're basing the potential legality of this move to leave the United States on Texas state law, specifically the Texas state constitution, which enshrines its right to self-governance. Now, most states have that kind of rule, and, you know, the Constitution does too, actually. It's the the 10th Amendment of the United States Constitution. Uh, But their claim is that the federal government, specifically under Joe Biden, is overreaching and potentially trying to overrule Texas state law, when in fact, what's actually happening is that they're getting away with a whole lot of terrible shit. Uh, For example, restricting abortion, things like that. Of course, you know, the, the weird thing about this is that, like, we've already figured this one out. It is not allowed to secede from the United States. We fought a whole dang civil war about it. Uh, There was also a big legal struggle uh, that culminated in a Supreme Court decision in 1868, uh, which is after the Civil War, uh, in which Texas was a litigant, which determined that secession from the United States is unconstitutional. You know, there's law behind this, right? Of course, that's not the point of having this referendum, right? Like, they might get it on the ballot, and it might even succeed, but, the, it, you know, it's like they're not going to leave the United States. That would not be allowed by the United States government. The point is that they're trying to force a lot of political issues in front of people's eyes. And they're trying to show the massive support in Texas and potentially other states, if they try to copy this kind of referendum, for the turn to a more right-wing nationalist form of governance in the United States. Of course, this is also related to Texas's attack on trans rights, on the rights of LGBTQ people uh, in general, uh, also on abortion rights. Finally, turning to news in the United States in general, we are, of course, talking about the ongoing investigations and aftermath of Donald Trump's attempted coup on January 6th of 2021. Last week's hearing from the special committee of the United States House of Representatives covering the January 6th attempted coup indicates that the lawyer who wrote the plan, you know, the plan for Donald Trump to remain the president, and it's sort of like potential legal backing of this plan of, you know, substituting electors and denying electoral votes and all that sort of stuff. Uh, This lawyer's name is Eastman, by the way. Uh, Mr. Eastman was advised... Uh, after he had made this plan by other lawyers working for Donald Trump, that writing it down and sharing it with the president was itself illegal and that he should try to, you know, pursue a defense of this or potentially ask Donald Trump for a pardon for his role in trying to plan, you know, a coup. Um, Eastman apparently even admitted to Donald Trump and to Mike Pence in his meeting about this plan that all nine justices on the Supreme Court would almost certainly say that his plan was ridiculous and illegal. We also know now that the January 6th committee is going to seek testimony from Virginia Thomas. This is the wife of Clarence Thomas, uh, a justice on the Supreme Court and a very conservative one. Uh, Concerning her, that is Virginia Thomas's, uh, her emails and text messages 
to members of the White House staff uh, supporting the coup. We also know that the committee has said that a lot more evidence has come to light and that they're actually going to be delaying the last couple of meetings of the committee itself, uh, which were supposed to be being held this month. Instead, they're going to be held somewhat later in the summer. For example, some of the new evidence that they now have access to uh, is uh, that there's documentary footage of Trump and his family just before, during, and after the coup. Uh, like, like literally he was potentially being filmed while he was waiting around and hearing about the coup and watching the news and, you know, making a lot of these phone calls that we don't have access to because all of the records have been destroyed or denied. This is, this is, this is completely crazy. I mean, like if you're staging a coup, you wouldn't have a camera rolling around you. Uh, the film that was being filmed uh, was called Unprecedented. It was being made by a British filmmaker named Alex Holder. Uh, there are a lot of Alex Holders on IMDb, so I'm not exactly sure which one it is. Um, he said that he has been subpoenaed by the United States House of Representatives to turn over all of his documentary footage, like not just the stuff that's going to be in the actual feature, which apparently they are going to still keep making, but you know, not just the footage that he's going to intend to release, but all of the footage that he took of the Trump family during and before and after the coup. Uh, he says that he's going to comply. Many other sources in the sort of Trumpiverse, when they heard about this film and that the footage was still around and that it was going to be subpoenaed and released, uh, some of them literally said, like, what the fuck? It's completely insane. Like, like they're, they're just astonished at the terrifying incompetence and just, like, apparent lack of desire to hide criminal activities of the highest order. It, it, it's truly astonishing. Other things that we have learned from these most recent rounds of the January 6th committee's hearings are that Donald Trump and several of his aides, but, but including Trump himself, directly harassed vote counters and low-level officials who were counting votes in states that the president said uh, were stolen from him. Namely, we're specifically talking about Georgia and Pennsylvania a lot here, uh, but this also occurred in other states that the president says that he probably should have won, you know, that, that he thinks were stolen from him. And I'm, I'm going to say this again. Donald Trump, as president, called volunteers who were counting votes in places like Georgia and Philadelphia. He accused them of passing around USB sticks with fake votes on them. Uh, he, he and his staff members engaged in race-based harassment of these people who, again, many of them are either volunteers or just like low-level comptroller type people in various small municipalities around the United States. In one specific instance, a Trump staffer specifically targeted a black woman who had volunteered to work in a Georgia election counting uh, location during the pandemic uh, and said that, you know, for her denying this demand to recount the votes or to give Trump the state of Georgia, she would be glad it's 2020 and not 1920. That's a specific threat of racialized violence and oppression. It's, um, Honestly, I, you know, I, I, I study the right wing for a living and a lot of the time I feel pretty inured and just like 
nonplussed by a lot of the terrifying shit that they say because I see it all the time and also I am a white guy and I am usually not the target of this particular kind of oppression and harassment. But I, I that's astonishing that that the president and his staff members would call volunteers and threaten them with racialized violence if they don't comply with his demand for a coup. Finally, going to close out this episode like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, we got a somewhat complicated one. Uh, his name is Keshav Baliram Hedgewar, and he's the founder of the RSS, the sort of quasi-fascist paramilitary organization from the 1920s that is the umbrella under which the ruling party of India, the BJP, operates. Uh, he is usually known as K.B. Hedgewar. Uh, he's a complicated figure, and in some ways, this C.U.N. Hell is a little bit more about the RSS than him specifically. Hedgewar was born to a Telugu Brahmin family in Nagpur, uh, which is a major city in India during British colonial rule in 1889. Uh, they were a family of medium means. They were Brahmin, uh, but not like particularly rich. He was a physician. He went to school to be a physician, but uh, did not pursue education in the tippy top of the you know educational sphere because he had been removed from several prominent British schools uh, for his nationalism, uh, for singing prohibited songs, things like that. He turned then to an anti-colonial Hindutva, uh, which is a concept of Hindu nationalism, the idea that India or a united Indian subcontinent should be for Hindu people only. Uh, and his nationalism and his anti-colonialism was about expelling Muslims and Christians, in addition to ending British rule. This means that he did not like Mahatma Gandhi or a lot of the other people who worked with Gandhi, such as Nehru, the first prime minister of India. He didn't like their inclusiveness, that, you know, their desire to build an India that was for everyone or an India whose state was secular. He was involved in the Indian National Congress, which was the main thrust of the Indian independence movement and also India's ruling party for most of the 20th century. But he left because he was opposed to this inclusiveness. He was opposed to diversity. And he founded the RSS, the Rashtriya Swayamsevak Sangh, with a group of other nationalists in 1925. The RSS would later go on to be led by significantly more right-wing figures, uh, although he led it until his death from 1925 until 1940. Now, the RSS is one of those groups that envied and emulated other fascist paramilitary organizations, many of which were being founded and being organized at the very same time. Uh, 1925 is, in fact, when the SS, the German Nazi SS, was founded. They used the Aryan salute. They talked about national purity. They were a paramilitary organization that engaged in political violence. Uh, that's what the RSS was, and uh, Hedgewar was a major part of that movement. Hedgewar died this week in history after a long struggle with uh, various ailments and extremely crippling back pain. He died this week in history, the 21st of June, 1940, in his hometown of Nagpur. So, Hedgewar, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. 
I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. And I mean that sincerely. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 spelled out. Uh, you can also reach me on Gmail at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter, my personal account, Hist of the Right, that's H I S T of the Right, and also Fascism 15. And again, that's 15 spelled out, all one word. All right, I will talk to you next week.